The Fields Auto Group proudly presents Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks, J.P. Shadrick, John Osher, and NFL Network analyst and former Jaguar Bucky Brooks bring you the latest on your Jacksonville Jaguars. We're not done. We're going to continue to work to build this team and make it as, as, as potent as we can going into the regular season. Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks starts right now. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. It is Wednesday, May 31st. J.P. Shadrick, NFL Network Analyst, Bucky Brooks, Jaguars.com, Senior Writer, John Osier. Give us a listen on the podcast page. All our shows available at Jaguars.com or the official Jaguars Podcast Network. That's on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your pods. It's the final day of May. Hurricane season officially starts tomorrow, June 1st. We're in the heat of the summer, John. Yeah, and uh, I didn't know that about hurricane season. So now I know that, and now we can talk some football. I think it's like tax-free weekend, Bucky, or over here. You guys don't have to worry about that in L.A. too much, but uh, over here, you got hurricane preparedness <laughs> is a big deal, man. Yeah, it's a big deal. I, I was also, like John, I was unaware about it being the first day of hurricane season. That is a uh, – I guess that's kind of frightening for me coming on the West Coast. I don't know much about the hurricane stuff. That's, that's kind of crazy. Hey, you grew up in North Carolina. You know all about hurricanes, but you weren't on bit. on the east coast of North Carolina, where they're pretty much weekly. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I mean, they they are there. That's why the hockey team is called the Hurricanes. But uh, I didn't see it a lot. I think the last one I saw maybe Hurricane Fran. If that was something, it was something. Fran, Fran, El Nino. Those those are the ones. Yeah, El Nino is not a hurricane. No, it's not a hurricane. It's a cycle of. It's weather. a weather. <laughs> term uh, which which gets I you i guess in the hurricane he's, range he's gonna drop jet stream yeah, next it's, and... it's uh <laughs> yankees and basketball are both sports terms so, so <laughs> much the same one hey well let's get back to something that that is in our lane and that's jaguars football of course phase three organized team activities well cam robinson is out there that's been a storyline this week he wasn't out there in the open practice last week he was out there the next day last week, so he's been around. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I think the media has been able to see him out there. Only Evan Ingram, Josh Allen, not in attendance. That's the good news, Bucky. Everybody pretty much is here, and they're getting a lot of work done. Yeah, no, it's great to have maximum attendance. I mean, when you get that, that kind of commitment from the team, even though it's voluntary, you love where it's trending. And um, – Look, Doug has been really good about saying, hey, these things are voluntary or whatever. But when players show up, it really means something to the team that everyone is there, that they're all working. They're trying to get on the same page. Um, look, it may not mean anything when we get to the regular season, but certainly for the chemistry and the camaraderie, it's good to have everyone in the building. Yeah, the cam thing shows you the overplayed nature of these things sometimes. Uh, first of all, the media is not there every day. So you report one day, it makes it look like he's not there for the whole time. Second of all, as a veteran, again, I have zero problem with Josh Allen being here. I've, I think I've got to know him a little bit over the last few years. There's no doubt that he is somewhere working. Uh, you know, and that is what you're supposed to be able to do in the OCS program. It's why they're voluntary. Uh, so I think most, it's good if most of the team is here. If one or two experienced veterans who prepare in a different way aren't here, especially at, at a pass rush position or even left tackle. How much are those guys really getting out of this individually? Uh, quarterbacks, skill guys, defensive backs, love to have them here. Beyond that, I'm all right with it. 
We'll hear from uh, one of those skill guys coming up in just a little bit, Calvin Ridley, and see how he's um, moving along in this offseason program. There's a new kicker in, Brandon McManus, cut from the Broncos, 10th-year pro, signed by the Jags. In his previous nine years, 81% kicker, 40 of 72 from 50-plus. So why Jacksonville for McManus? One, the team's up and coming. Um, you know, winning the AFC South last year, you know, obviously incredible comeback in the playoff game as well. It's been a long time since I've been in the playoffs, you know, my, my first two years in the, in the league, and uh, you know, get a chance to get back there. You know, I, Everyone dreams of kicking game-winning field goals, which is great, but it's also even better to be in the playoffs doing those things. And, and uh, So I thrive on those scenarios, and so I wanted to come to a team. Uh, obviously, I watched Doug um, you know, win, win the Super Bowl with the Eagles, and so the great tradition he's got, you know, building here and uh, a great organization, a great place to live, you know, for me and my family. And uh, like I said, was trying to bring um, my leadership and my, my tenure here to uh, put us over the edge. His career long 61 yards. That came in Los Angeles on the road in 2021. But he's, over his career, better on the road than he was in Denver, oddly enough, percentage-wise. 85% on the road in field goals, 79% a mile high, John. Bucky, you know, you're not in Duval. You're out in L.A. Uh, paying big-time state taxes. Um, so so uh, what was your reaction? You know, there has been a reaction among some fans here just shocked at this. To me, this was a very logical move once McManus came available. Tell me what you thought of it. No, I mean, I think you're always trying to get better. I think what people have to understand – uh, whatever happened the previous year doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a spot the next year. Riley Patterson came through with a clutch kick, a handful of kicks, but uh, Doug always wanted better, always wanted to upgrade. What you want is someone who is nails. Uh, when the ball reaches the 35 or the 40-yard line, you want to be able to tack those three points up on the board and feel good about it. Uh, there's something about having a veteran who has done it the way that McManus has done it that is comforting to the coaching staff. Also, you heard um, – like just in terms of people talking about kickoff, you know, the new rule with the kickoff, like in fair catches and those things, you want to be able to use all aspects of the kicking game to your advantage. McManus gives you an opportunity to do that. And Riley Patterson did some great things there. But if you have an opportunity to upgrade the position, you're always looking to upgrade the position. Yeah. I liked Riley Patterson. I thought that as you watch kickers over the course of time, doing this 25 years, there are, kickers that you feel like are moving toward being nails. Uh, I feel like Riley's got a shot at that. Um, His leg strength, probably about four or five yards less than you would like it. That's a guess. It's not an analytical thing. But it felt like they they were not in field goal range uh, a little longer than a lot of teams, if that makes any sense. That. I didn't say that well, but they had to get a little closer to be within his range where he felt like he was nails. Um, nails is a Bucky term. Yeah, right. He doesn't know yeah. El Nino, but he knows nails. <laughs> um, so he, uh, I, I just felt like watching Riley last year that you were watching a guy who was still working toward being that absolute trust kicker that coaches want. And I feel like when they looked at film, they look, I'm sure they looked at every kick that McManus has ever made. I think they feel like there's a greater level of trust at the kicker position. And especially where Riley was in his career, I just didn't see this as a high-risk move. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you certainly want to do that. And you have to understand how, let's say, offensive-minded head coaches think. Offensive-minded head coaches are always thinking about points, scoring zone, and how it impacts the way they have to call plays. So when you point to or allude to Riley Patterson maybe not having the strongest leg, it, it really cuts down the field or the scoring zone for Doug Peterson. So now play calls that you're like, hey, if I get to the 40, we're pretty much assured of getting three points. Well, for Riley, maybe we got to get to the 30-yard line. So now the field goal would be 47 yards, and that might be good. But those 10 extra yards mean a lot, particularly when you're playing against good defenses. It changes the way that you stack your call sheet and all those other things. And so by having maybe an upgraded kicker, it allows Doug a little more freedom when it comes to how he designs his game plans, how he sets the call sheet, and how he attacks the defense, knowing if I get to this area of the field, I'm pretty much assured of three points. John, think about that playoff game. Yeah. Um, the, the kick's fading right. If they're five, seven yards further back, that might right. drift outside the upright. And you referenced exactly what I, uh, where I was going with it. Before the ETN run, which is a 25-yard run, I I can remember sitting in the press box thinking they're going forward on fourth and one. Right in that range where the ETN run happened, I'm not, I'm not looking at the stat sheet, but I remember the feeling of, you know, they're not quite close enough, and with mm-hmm. a stronger-legged kicker, they might be close enough. And I may, be, I may not be remembering that exactly dead on, but I remember thinking that I don't know if he has confidence from him here and he needs to get a little close. You know, th- that's the kind of moment in real life that I think Bucky's uh, getting at. I can't say I was expecting the move, but once it happened, he started looking at it. It made perfect sense. And we're not even really talking about the uh, the leg strength that Doug and Heath were talking about yesterday, which he just got a stronger leg. And I think that was really mm-hmm. what overwhelmed you know, I. I was going for it more based on Riley had some shaky moments last year. Not a lot. He he was, but you didn't always feel like okay, he's going to be just money coming in. Uh, when you add the leg strength onto it, I think it made a pretty easy decision for them. All right, this is the Huddle Up podcast. We're talking special teams early. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll hear from Calvin Ridley, Jaguars wide receiver, and get his thoughts on the offseason, and Devin Lloyd on his approach going into season number two in the NFL. Another topic this week, Bucky, the discussion of the new fair catch rule on kickoffs. Well, I asked uh, McManus after practice, he's not for it, citing the uh, product and players who make their livelihood on special teams, but it's what it is. They'll have to adjust to it. Well, he also asked special teams coordinator Heath Farwell about it yesterday. Obviously, as special teams coaches got together, it wasn't exactly what we were looking for, uh, but as the game evolves, we got to evolve right there with it. So um, it's something my assistant and I, Luke Thompson, have really looked into this offseason, and we'll continue to look uh, throughout training camp. What are the the keys to it? What are the you know we have to study all the college tape. That's what they've been doing for a couple years, and and reaching out to those buddies that are in that game uh, to kind of figure out the tricks to it. Uh, it's going to be all new to us. Is it going to change a ton? Possibly not. Um, you know, like Coach mentioned, uh, we got Jamal Agnew. We're going to want to. We want to return, so we're going to try to return as much as we can. Are we going to fair catch uh, at times? Potentially, but I think if you have a returner like we do, you still want that. It's a big part of the game. It's a big part of momentum. It was a big part of our season last year down the stretch 
of flipping the field, giving the ball to the offense on the other side of the 50, uh, it, it was a huge part of what we did. So this kind of confirms, obviously, what we discussed last week on this podcast and some other shows that, yeah, they're going to let the return guy do his thing. They'd rather give him the opportunity to take one 50 yards or to the house and maybe start a few yards back. And they were starting near the 25 or after on average anyway, Bucky. So it doesn't change a whole lot of the Jaguars' perspective. No, it doesn't change the Jaguars' perspective. But, I mean, as a guy who spent most of his time playing special teams, what it does, though, is it continues to marginalize that aspect of the game. I mean, if you're taking away the kickoff and the return game, I mean, just think about, like, I mean, Jamal Agnew is special for us, but a lot of teams would be like, hey, what's the point in getting a, a dynamic kick returner? We're just fair catch it every time and just take it at 25. Uh, it changes from a strategy standpoint. Sometimes you will purposely kick it deep in the corner and make people return it. So, you know, you can pin them back. You can make them chew up clock. You can do things. So from a tactical standpoint, it impacts the way that you want to approach the game. And I don't think it impacts it in a good way. I think it takes away some of the chess match away from the coaches and kind of makes it a very static game. I mean, we might as well play like we're playing uh, the turkey ball, just line up everyone's all-time quarterback. We always started to rock and, and go play. I just, you know, I just think we have to be careful of taking too many things away from the game of football. Uh, I know we're saying we're trying to protect the, the health and safety of the players, but I think we still need to make sure that it always looks like football. Yeah, I think the point Bucky just made is the best one. I I said something similar this morning on drive time. We started at the tree, and I didn't have the turkey bowl because I I wasn't picked for these kind of games. <laughs> but I, I remember watching kids who got to play start at the tree in the neighborhood. But it, it, it there is an element of, on the one hand, you have to be safe, and by taking this out of it, it does increase the safety, and that's important. Um and it may not even seem when you're reading a story or 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 debating this on an NFL Network, it may not even seem like that big of a deal. But then when you start to think how games really get played out, uh, say there's a high scoring game, 35-35, and every which I think what we're moving toward eventually, it feels like we're moving toward every series starting on the 25. I mean, I. I could mm-hmm. foresee where these rules changes end up there in, in four or five years. Well, then, okay, you score, and then every, t- every time the ball comes out and the opposing team starting the 25. I do think coaches feel like something about a starting drive field position should be earned and that it shouldn't all look the same like that. That, that would feel very boring to me. Uh, I may be overplaying it, but I think that's when coaches like Andy Reid and uh, Dan Campbell is very vocal about it. I think that's what they sort of feel like shouldn't be out of the game. You should have some, hey, there was a fumbled kickoff. Hey, we're starting at the eight. Hey, we have better uh, coverage guys than your return guys. Right. The, or, yeah. or even yeah. last year, Jamal Agnew never took it to the house on, on, on kickoffs. But in the last four or five games of the season, that Kansas City game, he kept this team in it for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I do think there is an element that, uh, you know, I don't think the rules makers are making these changes at all willy-nilly. I mean, it, it, I don't think they want to be doing it. But I think there is a balance you've got to be careful of. Um, at the same time, I don't think there's anything 
that's going to stop this momentum toward this. And uh, I don't love that, but I, I'm also not the one out there risking a head injury. All fair points. Yeah. I mean, I get that, but like, so here's the thing where let's just say you're, you're a casual just paying attention to football where you wonder about health and safety, right? So you're talking about kickoffs and, hey, well, we want to take that out. We'll make sure we're protecting the players. But then you have more Thursday night games and flex games and those things. And so I just feel like the league has to be careful of hiding behind the guys of protecting the players when everything doesn't appear to be about protecting the players. And so the game is the game. And, I mean, I think we all kind of understand some of the inherent risks that come with playing. But you just got to be careful. Part of what makes football great is, yeah, not only not only the, the tough guy stuff and the violence, but the strategy, the chess match that you see when you're paying a close attention to, hey, this is a great time to kick a coffin corner kick because we can make them burn up five to six seconds. And in a two-minute drill, that could be the difference in a win or a loss. Those things to me matter. And so I can understand why Heath Farwell and some of the special teams coaches are up at arms because it also puts their job at risk a little bit if you keep cutting back on some of the things in the kicking game. And Thursday's the big elephant in the room on that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's uh, no better time to become a Daily Place Blue member than right now. Reserve your 2023 premium seat membership or individual luxury experience today. Email ticketing at boldevents.com. Or call 904-633-2000. In a moment, we'll hear from Devin Lloyd, Jags linebacker, on his offseason approach entering season number two in the NFL. That's next on the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome back to the Huddle Up Podcast. The Jags are excited to take the field this fall, of course, and we want you here for all the action. For as low as 57 bucks per game, you can join the ranks of the most dedicated fans and become a Jaguars season ticket member. Find your perfect seats at jaguars.com slash tickets or call 904-633-2000. Of course, single game tickets on sale now as well. J.P. Shadrick, John Osier, Bucky Brooks, glad you're with us on the Huddle Up podcast. Let's move to the Jaguars defense. And linebacker Devin Lloyd enters year number two in the NFL. Last season, he was Defensive Rookie of the Month in September, and then about a month or so later, he was out of the lineup. He finished better down the stretch, but now going into year two, I asked him yesterday, what's the approach this offseason? You build the foundation in the offseason, and so I think um, just understanding that all the, the long hours, long days during the season eventually come from your offseason. So I'm building a good foundation, um, you know, Physically, you know, I got uh, a lot of improvement from last year to this year. And, I mean, really just mentally, you know, just staying in the right spirits throughout the whole season. Um, I mean, it truly is a mental game. You know, as physical as it is, it, it truly is um, a mental side of the ball. So it's really just staying in the right spirits um, and, and telling yourself all the right things. So, uh, Bucky, the question is, you know, with all this talk in the offseason about improving the pass rush, does Devin Lloyd play a role in that? How do you streamline his production on defense? Well, I mean, I think you have to figure out ways. I think that's the task that Mike Caldwell and the defensive staff, they have to figure out. Um, it's one thing to come into the offseason or the season with the plan. This is how we're going to play. It's another thing to then look at the players that you have and really cons- consistently question, does this plan match the talents of the players? And so when you look at your personnel and you look at Devin Lloyd in particular, he was a guy who was very productive at Utah, coming off the edges, blitzing. He kind of, I mean, 
really was a stat stuffer in terms of sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, forced fumbles. What can you do to allow him to, to, to play and make those kinds of plays that he made at Utah? And so if you're going to play him at the position that you're playing him now, it may require him to blitz a little bit. It may require more packages where you kind of move him around and allow him to do more stuff. But you have to be able to do all those things while also not adding clutter to his brain because players who are thinking are not playing fast. You want Devin Lloyd to be able to play fast and play on his instincts. And so that's what I think this offseason is about, figuring out what he can do really well and what does he feel comfortable doing and allowing him to do that over and over again. Yeah, to me, the stat stuff for part is what gives me a lot of optimism that he'll be okay. When you watch this kid last year, um, when he was near the ball, he touched the ball, and meaning he was playing – he was impacting the game and creating, which is a rare trait for a defensive player. I, I, I think he's got that. Big time. Uh, my question for uh, the former player. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it, it's uh, um, so much of what you heard with Devin was uh, where he struggled was seeing things and recognizing in situations that he hadn't seen in college, uh, mm-hmm. and how much uh, Bucky can a player improve on that with experience. How, is that an improvable thing? Whereas to me, the things I was talking about before, the instinctive things really aren't improvable. I would think he could get better in this area. He absolutely can get better. And I I would anticipate him getting better. Uh, The only thing that helps you get better as a player is by playing because each of those experiences allows you to kind of catalog it and put it in your, your library. So you, Oh, okay. I've seen this situation. I've seen this formation. I've understand this down in distance. Uh, Here's where we're at, circumstance of the game, all those other things. And so as you begin to play a long time and collect that data, it allows you to play faster. That's why we love veteran players. Veteran players have gone through it, and so they can play a step quicker than maybe their athleticism because they know and can anticipate what's about to come. Well, for Devin Lloyd, he has to have some of those experiences. And I would say, as a fan base and as fans, we got to have a little patience. Even though he's a first-round pick, we can't expect him to come in right away and know it all. This year, yeah, we can raise the level of expectation because we want to see him make uh, impact plays. But he made some splash plays last year. And so it's that 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 fine line, that delicate balance that hey, you want him to play within the confines of the defense, but you also want him to do what he does well. And to me, what he does well is, man, he's a C-ball, get-ball player. And I want to put him in a situation where I can let him see it and go get it. And whatever that looks like when it comes to a defensive structure, I want to make sure that I put him in a situation where I don't have him thinking and, you know, trying to second guess himself. I just want him to be in attack mode because when he's in attack mode, he has proven that he can make big plays and we need big plays on defense. And keep him on the field during training camp. He missed all training camp last year, too. And I think you saw that in the regular season. Let's finish this week with Calvin Ridley. Jaguars wide receiver. He's getting work in, of course, still trying to get his legs fully underneath him since he's been out of the game for nearly two seasons full. So the team's not really letting him loose all the way. Doug Peterson said that before practice yesterday. But Ridley, after practice, was asked if he feels rejuvenated. I mean, yeah, I was at home for a year. I'm juiced up, man. I want to be out there. But like I said, you know, I'm, thank God I'm around a good, you know, a bunch of good people, a good program, and they, you know, they know how to do this. Because, I mean, you let me do it myself, I'll, I'll tire myself out by the time the season's here. So, 
you know, I got a lot of good people here I've been working out with, you know, a lot of good, you know, strength staff, and I mean, I'm excited about where I'm at right now. So in the little practices we've seen, two of them, the uh, OTAs, you know, you're starting to see them out there. I saw them out there. It felt like a little bit more in the team stuff on the first day of this week, and you can see why, Bucky. I mean, he's he's a crisp route runner. He's in and out, um, but he's one that, that will let it loose if you let him go. And, you know, this is that time of year where yeah, they might miss a throw here or there, but he's back with a the quarterback. They're working on the little nuances of a certain route, and they run it again, and they'll hit it. And that's what this offseason time is about. Yeah, that's what it's about. Uh, he He's something that we haven't seen, and I'm excited. I want to temper the expectations, but I, I just think about what he could do in this offense. And I think about how much fun Doug Peterson could have with Calvin Ridley as a route runner. He's the best route runner that we've seen in some time. And that's saying a lot because Christian Kirk and Zay Jones are also outstanding route runners, but Calvin Ridley's at another level. And so when you take someone who has been the number one receiver, who has put in work time and time again in terms of creating space and separation and has earned the respect of other wide receivers around the league as a top five talent, well, now you're talking about an offense that has a chance to go from good to great. And We've talked about it. We've talked about it on here multiple times about potentially having 3,000-yard receivers to go with a 1,000-yard rusher and what this offense can look like. A lot of it hinges on Calvin Ridley. If Calvin Ridley is right, it's going to be very, very hard for teams to match up with this offense because you double-team him. Now you got to you know, you got to roll the dice on Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and those other guys. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. I'm just hoping that he continues to take his time, that the Jaguars coaching staff and training staff kind of works to make sure they protect him against himself. Because if he's right when the regular season kicks off, you're going to see fireworks. You guys know how much I enjoy practice. Um, I'll preface that by that. <laughs> really enjoy it. Um, but in watching these unpadded practices – the thing that you sort of watch for with special players at the running back and receiver position are guys who sort of stand out, who who pop off the page, if you will, in those moments. Every once in a while during these, Travis Etienne will do something athletically where you say, oh, he's different. I mean, he is blessed to be able to do different things than the other guys in this field. Uh, Calvin Ridley's the same guy. I mean, and you maybe even see it more than Calvin. I, I would think as a scout, uh, when Bucky was assigned players to watch when he was a scout and was going through tape, because uh, he probably did scout back in the days where there was tape, um, there's probably like a stack of tapes, and, and you got to go through them. And then when you get to Ridley's tape, you sort of look forward to it. He's sort of that guy, isn't he? He is, man. He He's so much fun. And you can see the clips that are floating on Twitter and social media from his uh, past days with the Falcons, how he just works people. Uh, you've seen some of the stuff that he's done in workouts um, when he's been working with his trainer, going one-on-ones and how he has. I mean, he has all that extra syrup on his game if he needs it, but he can win with the basic stuff. And we saw it um, when I was there, just the ease and nature in terms of how he gets open and creates separation. That stuff is exciting. And the thing about him is this guy is a high-level competitor. He's been a high-level player. Uh, you throw him into the mix to alleviate some of the pressure on Trevor Lawrence because 
this is the year that Trevor should make a major leap. Year two in Doug Peterson's offense, it won't be a coincidence that Calvin really will help him take his game to other knots because we talk about Calvin really potentially being a top five, top ten receiver. The expectation is Trevor Lawrence should be a top five quarterback this year if everything goes according to script. All right, so that's it for this week on the Huddle Up podcast. Next week, one more OTA week, John, and then it's mandatory yes. minicamp. Bucky, you're fired up. Are you coming back for any of these, Bucky, or are you done for the offseason? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm, no, I'm, try, I'm trying to get back to him. I'm just trying to make sure uh, Doug is not going to give him a treat and maybe give him a couple of days off and then like that. So I'm trying to plan it. So I may have to come back for the OTA so I can see it and have uh, John tally up those completions and incompletions and all that, and then we can kind of report about it. You know? I, I have seen enough. You know, I've seen <laughs> <laughs> That's John Osier and Bucky Brooks. I'm J.P. Shadrick. Our thanks to Joe Fortunato and David Cho as well. Thank you for listening to the Huddle Up Podcast.